0: Ladies and gentlemen, do welcome to the next episode of my safe bet show. And it gives me a great pleasure and it's our utmost privilege, of course, to welcome Keith White, a man that requires no introduction to the show. So welcome, Keith. It's great to have you.
1: Ah, Thank you, Martin. I really appreciate it. It's it's good. It's good to see you again, my friend.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. For, I suppose, the three of you and the vast crowd that might have never heard Keith, Keith is the fearless leader, chief executive of the National Council on Problem Gambling and will come out to deciphering that moniker. But prior to that, Keith also spent some time with the American Gaming Association as well as the American Bar Association. So Keith's been in this association space and has been dealing with a lot of associations related business for a number of years, which I may actually... It's a very nice segue into my first question, because you have served as executive director of the NCPG since 1998, very, very impressive, and you've done so very successfully. So do you, can you even remember what life, I mean, mainly, of course, your professional life was before (laughs) that? Are no dominie moment for the U.S., if not the global, gambling industry?
1: Yeah, thank you, Martin. It, it is a great question, and I think about that a lot. You know, we try not to live in the past, but, of course, you, you, you do have that reference. So, when I got into the gambling field in 1995, <clears throat> gambling in America was a lot different than it is today. And um, I think crime was, was, was a big issue, organized crime in particular. Um, you know the economics of of restaurants uh were, you know were, were were these these were driving factors in the public policy debate around gambling and problem gambling or gambling addiction was relatively uh under addressed and I think the only insight I had back in ninety five was that problem gambling was was going to become a bigger issue and so even at the a g a as I started to work with groups like the national council, you know we saw that gambling was was going to expand across america and you know, it, it seemed to me that the, that was the big public policy issue. How do we address the small but important percentage of the population who may have a problem? So um, it 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 wasn't seen as a national public issue in, in, in 1995. I don't think it's quite there yet today yet, but we're making a lot of progress. But I think there's a lot more awareness among the industry because responsible gambling was not really a term of art in the casino side, at least uh, back in 1995 either. So it's, it's, it's interesting to look back where we were. Uh, we've made a tremendous amount of progress in partnership. And we've got a lot of new, again, a lot of new companies coming into the space, you know, such as Intane, that are bringing some valuable lessons too. So um, responsible gambling, problem gambling, it's never static. I think that's the only other takeaway from this almost 30 years of experience in gambling is that the issue constantly evolves. There's constantly new things. We're learning and we're, we're evolving and changing, and which makes it exciting and rewarding. Uh, as as a field that I've spent most of my professional career.
0: First of all, thank you for your very kind words about Antaine. I'm, of course, not being biased at <laughs> all. And you've already started talking about your motivation to take on this, indeed, rather challenging, but hopefully at the same time gratifying role. And I noticed in your resume that one of your degrees is Bachelor of Arts in History. You mentioned to me prior to to us pushing the recording button that you were in the throes of reading Van Gogh's letters, hopefully in Dutch or, or French, your choice, of course. So what indeed motivated you back then to take that leap of faith from being focused on the History, history of arts, and also having been a research and a lead researcher for the likes of the American Gaming Association to take on this role, which I suppose, in essence, is rather different from what you had done previously.
1: It is, but I think the strong through line of of my career has been uh, advocacy for those who uh, have no voice. So at American Bar Association, I worked on uh, international human rights, civil rights, and, and you know, gay and lesbian issues. Uh, you know, prior to that, at Health and Human Services, we were working. I was working on healthcare reform uh, at the national level. So that's um, when when I went to the uh, American Gaming Association. Uh, gambling was again a, a rare issue, and problem gambling was certainly seen as, as something that was important, but you know, relatively uh, minor. And so. It was going to the National Council was, was was a nice return to that advocacy because I think people with gambling problems are one of the most stigmatized groups uh, in all of America. Uh, we know from public opinion surveys that uh, people are much more comfortable with someone who's a drug addict, someone who has a disability, all these other things. Just problem gamblers uh, have so much shame and there's so much misunderstanding. So. It, it's been uh, that's probably been a, a big part of my career. Uh, but yes, I mean, I, I I I love the history of gambling. Uh, I love the art and literature around gambling. Uh, my minor was international relations. I've I've been you know lucky enough to travel to more than thirty countries in this in this position. Get to know people from around the world. Talk about the cross cultural issues with gambling. And so it's been it's been rewarding and fulfilling for so many of my interests and passions. You know, gambling. In some ways, you know, I I can um, assign gambling to anything. You could be talking about art, you can be talking about literature, you can be talking about economics, you know, technology. There's always a connection back to gambling.
0: And you very much become, if I may put it that way, part of the history of this industry and uh, a fixture. We will come on to talking about the stigma that is still indeed associated with gambling, but for now, sticking to the theme of history and genesis and evolution, you've been this role since 1998. So how has your own organization evolved to take on all the latest challenges and make sure that you and you guys do keep yourselves up to speed with all that has been happening in this sector, not only in the United States, but of course, all around the world?
1: An organization as old of ours, as as old as ours is, really does have that challenge of not staying stuck in the past because the National Council was founded in 1972. So it is our 50th anniversary this year. And to maintain uh, our our advocacy over five uh, decades has, has really been, I think, a really great achievement. But it's been a challenge because the world is much different than it was in 1972, much less in 1998. Uh, and so one of the things that keeps us vibrant is our connection to uh, what we call in the United States, the recovery community um, worldwide. It's probably more the, the lived experience community. But ever since we were founded by Gamblers in Recovery in 1972, we've maintained that connection to the recovery community. So there's always been for the last 50 years, a member of <laughs> our board of directors who has their roots in the recovery community. You know, we've always had not just state chapters. But we also have individual members who are recovering gamblers, researchers and counselors, people that are working every day um, connected to those who are suffering. And so that's that's our root. That's that's our compass. Uh, We've stayed true to our mission, which is to be the advocate for services for problem gamblers and their families. And also the the thing that goes along with that, thats part and parcel of our role as an advocate is to be neutral on legalized gambling. Often misunderstood. But it's been a critical part of our success because we do not shame and stigmatize and judge either people who have gambling problems or people who provide gambling services or state governments that tax and regulate. We're the broad stakeholder group that works with everybody without shame and and, and the stigma that everyone else uh, may face. So I I think between our advocacy roots and our, our, uh, our role of neutrality, that's what's kept the National Council vibrant these last 50 years.
0: Well, congratulations on the anniversary. 50 years, five zero to spell it out. No mean feat, an amazing achievement. And as a serving member of your advisory board, and thanks for giving me that role, I've had the privilege and pleasure to have worked with many of the advocates you have just alluded to. Uh, talking about. NCPG. I reckon many people stick to that because they don't want to get the full moniker wrong. So I've already spelled it out. I'll do it again so that once and for all everybody's clear on that National Council on Problem Gambling. You've started talking to the etymology of that moniker. But would you mind explaining, putting a bit more flesh on uh, on, on those bones rather Why is it problem, not responsible or sustainable, gambling? And also, why is it gambling and not gaming? Because historically, still probably till the present day, there's been a lot of confusion between those two words, and it doesn't really help that the Americans and the Brits use those terms for slightly different things. So if you could talk to that a little, that would be great.
1: Well, yeah, and this is also, I I think, to, to... To get to the end this is something that continues to evolve um because we were founded uh you know again in 1972 um gambling was was the common term especially for when when you talk about people with problems uh so these days problem gaming is is a separate thing It, it probably in most people's mind relates to video gaming and it's most often associated with adolescence uh so the the term of gaming has as i think probably plateaued in the in the united states gambling industry and it is increasingly, I think, gaming is being used uh, on, on the, more the video gaming side, an excessive video gaming side. So I think there was probably a, a point in time where we would have considered moving to gaming. Now I think we're, we're deliberately, we're, we're glad we didn't because that's becoming a separate issue. Um, problem gambling has always been the, the, broad, the broadest uh, term well understood by the late public. Uh, things like compulsive, pathological, again, are very stigmatizing. Uh, addiction, you know, is also stigmatizing. Gambling disorder is is the latest term from the American Psychiatric Association. Uh, but I don't think that's it's not well understood by the public. so you've got you do have this the nomenclature is is difficult. It's important. Um, and we're now, but we we constantly look we at one time, there's a serious proposal to be the National Council on Problem and pathological gambling, which I think would have been a step in the wrong direction. but you know but names names are important and and I think it's a great question because uh, as as we talk about, uh, you know, we're still pushing the field forward. Our name may not always uh, fit. And I think there's, as we go through the strategic planning process, as we work with our board members, um, it's a conversation we need to continue to have to make sure that it reflects our advocacy and our neutrality and that it properly encapsulates, encapsulates our concerns without further stigmatizing those we serve. So um, I can tell you that, yes, it's it's been a good name for us for five decades, but Maybe not for six decades it, it needs to continue to evolve as well, and we need feedback from all these stakeholders and so i, I, I it's a it's a wonderful discussion and conversation uh, to have and you know it, again your your viewpoint and those the others of you know your, these viewers you know that, that, that's all part of that, that that learning that we need to do to make sure that it still reflects who we are
0: well, to give you my personal view of the bat and right here, right now, I do agree that adding the word buffological to the name would have further baffled people because clearly the NCPG is the biggest, if I may call it that way in the non-marketing sense, is the biggest responsible gambling brand out there and you will most definitely continue your valuable service to the community. You've already mentioned that and explained the reasons why you have taken a neutral stance on... likes of sports betting regulation in the United States, i.e. it does not mean that you would not be involved and that you would not be helping those out there who have uh, uh, tried their hand with sports betting and unfortunately it's created problems for them. That's not what it means. So perhaps if you could explain where do you currently stand on what I keep calling the still rampant bonanza of sports betting regulation in the US specifically from the viewpoint of problem as well as responsible gambling.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's that exactly is where we want to be. We want to help everyone better balance the costs and benefits. We want to minimize harm so that everyone can maximize the benefits. Individual gamblers who gamble recreationally and enjoy it, we want them to maximize that benefit. We want states to maximize the benefit of the tax revenues, operators to maximize the benefit but you can't maximize benefits without also balancing the costs. So trying to help find that harmony, you know, trying to help find that harmony is our journey and our neutrality is often misunderstood, especially by critics who are anti-gambling. Uh, they believe that that somehow it's, it's, uh, um, you know, that we've, we've uh, been bought off by the gambling industry or by state government or by, you know, someone, some mysterious force. Um, <clears throat> Our neutrality is is like the Swiss neutrality. It's an it's an aggressive, it's an armed uh, neutrality. So many people uh, have felt uh, the criticism of of, of the National Council. You know, we are we are free and we continue to um, not just work with all stakeholders, but continue to push stakeholders and even criticize stakeholders. So, um, you know, neutrality is never, um, as we consider it, sitting back. You know, we're not passive observers. Uh, We're very active participants in this debate and discussion. And, you know, but we believe that the best way forward is to work with all the stakeholders, including you, including state governments, including individuals in recovery and find that better harmony. So when when it comes to the expansion of sports betting, that is a decision for states and for individuals. Whether a state should choose to legalize sports betting, whether an individual participates are are decisions that are left to them. The National Council will advise, will assist. We'll work with every single stakeholder, we'll work with individuals, we'll work with counselors, with states, with operators, with regulators, uh, again, to try and better balance the costs and benefits. That's the unique role we play. We don't play all roles. There's a lot of things that we can't and don't do, but the role we do play, and I think play very well, is to be that advocate for problem gamblers and their families from that neutral stance, which makes us, I think, a lot more credible and objective than someone who at at their heart is either trying to abolish legalized gambling, or conversely, an operator, let's say, um, not an entertain, but someone who has only profit and no social responsibility whatsoever.
0: And I would suggest you'd be a great Swiss. You might need to change your family name to Weiss or Blanc or Bianco. Unfortunately, I don't know what the equivalent is in retro <laughs> romance, but you would be a fantastic Swiss as a result of your experience of non-aggressive, uh, Neutrality. <laughs> yeah. As I'm sure the, the, the listeners of that po- podcast, hopefully an ever-increasing number, would have noticed, there's a continuous debate in the United States about the likes of, and we will come on to talking about helplines, we will, but the likes of self-exclusion, which from my perspective is pretty much a fixture and a, and a given. So I was ask a slightly different question. Do you believe now when at least those U.S. markets that have regulated early are now maturing and settling down. Is there now a good time to ramp up efforts in connection with potentially introducing more granular, more in-depth, responsible gambling tools that would go beyond what's already out there?
1: Yeah, that's the question of the moment. You're right. And, and that's the question we're living right now. Um, I think we're seeing the limits, quite frankly, of voluntary self-regulation. Because in the United States context, with our hundreds of different jurisdictions, um, the, the, reg, the lowest bar for regulation is extremely low. And so the way we're doing, the way we're doing um, voluntary compliance in, in the United States, um, it often defaults down to the lowest common denominator. And unfortunately, like I said, in many states, that's, that's, there's no employee training required. There's no self-exclusion required. There's no public funding for problem gambling programs, and so it, it makes it hard it it makes it hard to rely completely on on that. So we are pushing regulators to 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 try and harmonize and elevate their standards, but we also celebrate the folks at the top who are, as you say, going far beyond what's required. Um, and so it's a push pull. We want to celebrate people that, that are doing you know really good stuff and encourage. Not just um, companies to adopt it because it's, it's good um, politics, you know, it's good PR, but also because it's good for your bottom line, you know, and, and so trying to help trying to make that case and, and, and getting help from partners like you to make that case why it's important for Intain as a global business to be socially responsible might help persuade some of those peers who are doing little, little um, in, in, until they're required. So um, I'm, we're also big believers in technology. I think there's some incredible tech that's coming down the pike. It's technology will never be the silver bullet, but there are some really exciting things that are going to teach us not just about uh, abnormal gambling behavior, the 2%. They're going to teach us about the 98% of people who gamble recreationally without harm and trying to um, promote and elevate the the protective factors for the 98% is just as, if not even more important than looking at the risk factors and how we mitigate and modify those for the 2%. So we're, we're spending equal time working on both. And we're working again with the companies that work with us. And we're prodding those who uh, are choosing not to engage. Um, you know, unfortunately, there are still major casino companies in the United States that, that don't train their employees on responsible gambling. That is just such a bed mark, bedrock, lowest, lowest of lowest bars. So if you tell me you've got 20,000 employees, and you only train the ones in the states where you're required. And so, you know, the other 10,000 employees that work in states where training's not required, you, you don't, even though you know it's good in the states where you regulate it. That's a company that is, is not going to do, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, their own corporate social responsibility quite well. So it's, it's a mixed bag, I think, to the point of your question. And that, but that's the big struggle to, to work with those folks that are doing well at the same time we're pushing. You know, they're often people that are their their peers and competitors ought to do more.
0: It is a shame indeed. So I take it you believe that the bottom line itself is still the key incentive towards taking these productive steps with a view to achieving long term sustainability of these markets. Because I presume we... Certainly, I do. We still want to be in our jobs five, ten years from now. And hopefully, the industry will be offering not only the most exciting, most attractive products, but also the safest and most, to use the word again, sustainable products. On to the big one for you, I presume, if I may, helplines. You would have heard it, you know, all the time, a big outcry. And by now, we know about your laudable effort to negotiate with your New Jersey chapter that uh, happened to have had the foresight to launch, I would suggest, strongly suggest, the most recognizable U.S. void 1-800 number, i.e. 1-800-GAMBLER. So what is your take on all this? Lots of states, most states around this country have a helpline of their own, although still Rerouted and connected, but would, or is this just a pipe dream? But would one nation Wild helpline, genuinely focused on helping people, is that the way forward—the swift, smooth, and soothing way to ensuring that we help people that might be running or have already run into issues and problems with their gambling?
1: Yeah, because I think that's exactly the point. How can we make it easier for people who may need help to get the help they need? And I think it's unquestionable that having one number that works everywhere across the United States is by far the best way. Um, and it's not just because it, it's what we say in the gambling field. It's what we do for every other disease and disorder and crisis. That's why we have 911. That's why we have national suicide lines. You know? But so I think the really important distinction here is that one national number does not mean one national call center. So our structure is much like 911, a highly distributed structure. So you call one number, but then you're immediately and instantly routed to dozens of different state-level call centers. So those those are the state-level helplines that still play a massive and important role in this discussion. So it's it's one national umbrella, but then it gets people right back into that network of existing helplines. So it's not going to decrease. In fact, it will. Moving to the national number, especially with national sports betting advertising, will increase the number of calls and increase the number of correct calls because instead of trying to hunt for 27 different numbers in one one point font shown for one second on the screen, you've got one number that works everywhere, but gets you to that existing state help, that, that same state helpline number. So that's all we're trying to do. It's not a national helpline. It's a national helpline number that connects to and depends on that network of state resources. So the National Council, we don't answer any of those numbers. But beyond that, the biggest thing beyond the national number, that's taking a little bit of time and energy. We're spending a lot more time, and and again, this is funded by groups like yours as well as by the NFL, is to modernize that entire system. These helplines, as you remember, were set up in the early 90s when we had no cell phones, when there was no sports betting sports betting period, There was no sports betting advertising. Most gamblers didn't cross state borders. And so it is a analog system now in a digital age. And so we're catching up and we're doing things like um, certifying and accrediting call centers and workers. We're doing uh, some great things with data harmonization so that we'll be able to get a national picture of calls. Um, You know, we're we're doing things with technology to try and get geolocation, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of details, but the helpline modernization effort. One number is is part of that, but it's it's frankly relatively a small part. The bulk of our time and energy is going to improving all that analog infrastructure and bringing it to the digital age uh, to make sure we are where people need to be so that we're making it as easy as possible. We're knocking down as many barriers as we can for gamblers to get help, not just by calling anymore, but by text, by chat. And, and that's where we're seeing, frankly, Martin, the biggest increases in calls. Um, It's not on it's not on our our phone, even though that's going 50, 100 percent. It's text and chat because that's where, of course, most people are today. So we're 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 taking steps. We're getting there. But it's been an underfunded system for a long time. This is a system that until very, very recently has not had the injection of resources that it would need uh, to be on par with other national crisis lines. But we're getting there.
0: I'm fingers crossed that you will. We shall wish you all the best with this very laudable effort. And also, I would suggest that from the practical perspective, if we manage to sort it out and, you know, some of those monikers out there, like 1-800-ADMIT-IT, 1-800-HOPE, and BOY. Now, if all that is unified, then even in gambling and sports betting-related adverts, there will be much more space as opposed to, Fund-free messages with all those numbers for proper responsible gambling messaging. Moving on to, if I may, to the wider and the bigger picture, I reckon we'll be once again singing from the same hymn sheet if I say that continuous research and education play an absolutely critical role in raising awareness about both problem and responsible gambling. So could you tell us a little bit about any projects close to your heart that you and the NCPG, all the folks out there? And once again, kudos to them for everything that you guys have been doing. Projects that you have run, supported with, and I may be biased again, we've uh, run the likes of Operation RG for the military and veteran community. Together, so what is out there, and to the extent you're allowed to share with us, what is coming further down the track?
1: Yeah, we've got some exciting stuff uh, that, that we've, we've worked on together. So, as, as you said, Operation RG, uh, Operation Responsible Gambling, is a website dedicated to military and veterans uh, to help them get help for their for their gambling problem. It uses uh, videos, first person videos from veterans who've had gambling problems themselves to help other veterans understand. Um, it's okay to talk about this, to reduce the shame and stigma, and of course, direct them to resources. And Operation Responsive Gambling.org uh, is due for a big overhaul. There's a lot more content we're putting up there, and we're working with our military committee, uh, which is um, chaired by uh, Rich Taylor from MGM, who we both know very well. Um, so Operation RG, there's some exciting stuff there, and there's some implications even at the federal level uh, that, that we'll, we hope to announce very, very soon. Um, also, one of the biggest research projects in, in the history of gambling in America was launched in 2018 when we went to the Intain Foundation US and we said, Martin, you know, prior to, this is we actually went to you prior to the Supreme Court really said, look, we know gambling's sports sports betting's gonna expand. Can you help us do a baseline study so that we will forever be able to measure change against this 2018 survey, ideally that was gonna go out before most states expanded gambling? you were very generous enough to say yes. And so that first engaged survey that was done in, in uh, uh, 2018, surveyed 28,000 Americans on their sports betting uh, attitudes and experiences. With that baseline, we've been able to measure, measure change now. We've done the second wave of the survey in 2021. We'll do the third wave in 2023. But again, it, the two points that are critical on this Engage survey. One, it was a great partnership with the industry. And it, two, it created a baseline. And three, it's astounding to us that no one else was looking at that. Not the federal government, not the state governments, not private foundations. No one else looked at that Supreme Court decision and thought, gee, I think there's going to be a huge expansion of gambling. Wouldn't it be nice to get a national baseline? Because once that, once gambling's expanded, you can survey now, but without a baseline, you're not measuring change. So those are two of the projects that are underway. Um, we've got some really exciting stuff coming uh, on responsible gambling research. We've got some really exciting stuff on um, uh, responsible gambling words and themes uh, that uh, is going to be of great help for anybody in the industry who uh, is training their employees on you know trigger words or you know what 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 they might hear uh, from customers that may or may not be a sign of a gambling problem. So there's there's some really uh, awesome stuff. Youth uh, we're going to do a survey on youth gambling, and then last but not least. Um, We've got some really exciting stuff coming down the pike on uh, payments and uh, our internet responsible gambling standards.
0: The audience might know that you're a huge soccer fan. Soccer the real, as in football. The real
1: football, world football.
0: Football yeah. as in soccer. And I suppose besides David Beckham, Victoria Beckham, not so much. You're probably the most well-versed person in America in all things soccer slash football. So, if I may put you on the spot right here, right now, and ask a couple of questions, what are your predictions for the November World Cup?
1: Oh, that's that's a great one. So, I think for the U.S. national team, I think if we can get out of the group stage, we've got a little bit of a tricky group with England and either Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. Uh, and if Ukraine does qualify, they're going to be such a sentimental favorite uh, for the group, and so that really alters things because emotion plays such a huge role in football. And so uh, I, you know, I, I think the group is, is winnable, but then once you get, once you start to get to the, to the knockout rounds, um, you know, I have to go with, I, I don't know. I it's, it, yeah, this it's, it's a great one. I mean, I think, you know, Belgium is, is starting maybe their golden generations a little bit uh, old, old in the tooth now. So I think it's anybody's game. I think the Germans might surprise some folks. Um, I don't unfortunately think the English are going to go too far. I don't think it's their, it's their time again, you know, they're still chasing. So, you know, I do think it's probably a continental power. Um, I don't know that Brazil's all that great this year. So, you know, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, but I think it's anybody's game. I think this is one of the most fascinating world cups, um, because it's, it's a bigger field because there's so many new entrants and because, uh, the, the emotion, the dynamics around some of these, these groups, I think there's a lot of groups of death. I think there's some really good stuff coming out of Africa that we may see. Uh, And then, you know, again, you can't discount uh, the the power of playing on home turf for some of these African sides. So I think it's anybody's game, but it's, it's, it's a fascinating one. And it's also a great global conversation. We can have, you know, in the gambling community uh, there's a lot of us that work internationally that all talk every this time, every four years, you know, we have our favorites and we have predictions and we follow the markets obviously. So anyway, it's it's a great question. And um, it, it, it's it's that, that's why we watch, though, because much like much like gambling, the outcome is never predicted and even favorites can stumble. So it, it makes it a good tournament.
0: So from the sound of it, you fancy the New England and other folks against the good old England, which will prevent Harry Kane and the boys from singing, it's coming home. It may not come home again. <laughs> and I will again. try to ignore it because Brazil being married to a Brazilian with the Czechs not having qualified. Shame on them. Yeah. It's a bit of a low blow. I'll try to ignore it. But Brazil will be my team. So me, my wife yeah. and our little one will be cheering for them. Finally, and I would be remiss in my duties if I didn't ask you about your Atlanta Falcons. Yes. A team that did great. Well, 28 free up six, seven years ago, and it sadly didn't work out. But can the Falcons fly high again? And do you think that uh, they had a good draft? What caught my eye for obvious reasons was the fact that your first round pick happens to be called Drake London. So what's your (laughs) take on that?
1: you know, tra- trading away Matt Ryan was, 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 it was a bold decision. Um, I think it's a shame. I think he probably still has some good years in him, but uh, at some point you do have to move on and identify the next quarterback of the future. Um, I think their draft was, was good. They just need help all across the board though. And, you know, I, these days in the NFL, you either have a franchise quarterback, like, oh, I don't know, Tom Brady, uh, someone's personal favorite. who's um, Or you don't. <laughs> and trying to find that is, is, is the art, but, You know, teams can do a lot without a franchise quarterback. I don't think the Falcons are in that place. So, you know, I'm thinking middle of the pack, even in a division that uh, is winnable. But uh, they've, they've got a tough road for the next year or two, I think.
0: Ever the optimist, ladies and gentlemen, Keith White, and I will now uh, give Keith, well, that's where the word pathological comes back in, and i used it very pertinently, if I may say so. (laughs) So now your time to shine even more, Keith, 60 seconds or less, or a little bit more, if you want to deliver your key messages, ideally on Responsible Gambling.
1: I think it's working together, right? even though we all have different motivations, you know, there's all slightly different outcomes. Um, the, the best way to progress is to have that open, honest dialogue. And, you know, I will always engage in dialogue with folks that have something productive to say. It's just there's there's a lot of critics out there that uh, are only focused on the negative, And we prefer to focus on the positive. You know, let's try and find solutions together. Uh, that's one of the reasons I think uh, we are rightly positioned with with 95% of Americans who believe the gambling should be legal, should be available, has problems. And so it needs to be regulated. And, you know, I I think that's, that's where the vast majority of the American public is. That's where we are. And I think together, you know, we can work to better find that balance. Uh, So there's a lot of change going on there. There's, there's a lot more risk right now, but it's how we address that risk. That is the art and that's what keeps it fresh and vibrant because we're learning so much. We're doing so much. There's a lot of progress that's been made, but there's, there's a lot more that needs to be made. We're at a neat inflection point in the history of responsible gambling in America. And I think if we all make that conscious choice to keep driving forward, to not rest on our laurels, to keep moving, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff we're going to do that, that may well catch America up to the rest of the first world countries that, that take responsible gambling seriously. And in the uniquely American context, I think we might get there with more public-private partnerships than being driven by regulators and politicians. So there's still that chance in the United States, there's a space in the United States for industry to really commit and to really dig in and really work. Um, we don't see it with everybody, but you know we see it with the leaders in the space and we can forge a voluntary harmonization of responsible gambling standards rather than waiting for regulators and legislators to to clamp down like we're watching happen in the uk and other jurisdictions but i would say to our friends that window is closing
0: i've chosen to be generous and i will not give keith a time limit violation penalty (laughs) because he's been absolutely amazing on this show so thanks for coming ladies and gentlemen this is keith white without any shadow of doubt one of the worldwide recognized leaders of all responsible gambling efforts my name is martin lechka you've been watching and thanks for that yet another episode of my safe bet show keep doing that and see you next time
1: all right thanks so much Martin.